This is Superfood Sundays, a plant-based podcast with Chef Lynette. So I'm going to share something with you that I'm, I'm trying to share with the world, and the world needs it more than... My book, Just Listen, became the top book on listing in the world. It's in 28 languages, became a bestseller in Russia. Actually, five of my books became bestsellers in Russia. And the Russian people are wonderful people. I'm not getting into politics and about leaders and about Putin versus Biden or whatever, but the Russian people are wonderful people. And I gave a talk there, and there's a video clip of it. And I headlined, along with a Nobel Prize winner, there's a guy named Daniel Kahneman. He wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, and he has a new book out called Noise. And I was a headline speaker along with him because my book had done so well. And what I uh, spoke on and this is what I hope your listeners will get, and I'm actually going to demonstrate it with you, is what I pointed out to the audience is that underneath you listening to me, you are listening for something. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. I can get, and if your listeners can get what people are listening for, and you can be curious about what they're listening for, as opposed to trying to convince them, they will lean towards you. So, for example, this was a thousand Russian businessmen and businesswomen. And I said to them, if I focus on what you're listening to and I give you a bunch of bullet points, you'll write them down and most of them won't work. And you'll say it'll work for him. He's an expert. He's got a book. But if I give you good stories and I'm entertaining, I said, you'll give me your mind for an hour. And then I switched to an NPR tone and I said, but if instead of giving you bullet points to you listening to me and you giving me your mind for an hour, if instead I focused on what you're listening for and I got yeah. what you were listening for without you telling me, and if I delivered on those things, you'll give me everything. And I said, let me see if I get what you're listening for. And then I'm going to segue back to you, Lynette. Yeah. I said, if you're business people, what you're listening for is something that will give you greater positive, measurable results because that's how you get a raise or a promotion. Is that true? And the audience went, da, which is Russian for yes. And I said, you're also listening for a way to do that, that's less stressful because the way you're doing it now, you're under stress, you're drinking too much, you're eating the wrong things. You're looking for a way to get those results that's less stressful. Is that true? And they go, duh. And finally, I said, and I think what you're most listening for is if I can give you tips that are immediately doable by you and you don't have to buy a book and I haven't written this book yet, and you don't have to buy a course, and I haven't created a course yet, but if I could give you tips that could give you better results so that you get a raise and that are less stressful, and you don't have to be a psychologist or even like psychology, but if I could give you doable by you tips, it'll be worth the more than $500 in a day of your time to spend with us. Is that true? And they got excited. Duh. And I said, quiet, I have to give a talk now. <laughs> so here's an example of it, Lynette. So you're listening to me. You're checking boxes. You're making sure that I'm giving some things that seem to be relevant to what the podcast is about. 
But let me see if this feels different because this is what I think you're listening for under you listening to me. I think the trust and confidence and belief that your community has in you means a lot to you. You want to live up to their trust and confidence uh, and maybe even respect, and you wouldn't want to do anything to dishonor them or waste their time. So I have a feeling what you're listening for with guests is someone who can give your listening audience tips and tools that are immediately usable by them uh, that bring them value. Absolutely. That's definitely true. The great thing about the Superfood School community is that our founding audience I've all met in person pre-COVID with the hands-on workshop. So it's a little bit different than, yes, being this social media distant influencer or person per se. Actionable steps are very important. People are short on time. And as I mentioned earlier, food is tradition. It's culture. It's convenience. It's emotion. So many things are, are surrounded by food. And so when you start to get into fundamentally changing that food, I've literally seen Facebook arguments happen years ago over rice versus cauliflower rice, really heated discussions because, again, people are very, they're very bound to their food. And a lot of this has to do with growing up and what they ate as children and what reminds them of their families or parents and things like that. You know, how, again, how do we move people into the next level of health and wellness. There's something that I call assertive humility. Assertive mm. humility. Uh. It's, it's bearing your neck in an assertive way because really what you want to do is awaken in them, other people, the part of them that is listening for a better way to live and a better way to eat to help that. So one of the ways you use assertive humility is you reach out to your friends. And if he's the friends that you've had arguments with, the first step is to say, or you send them a text message, and you say, when you have a moment, I'd like to talk to you because I owe you an apology. Now, I will tell you, the majority of the world has not received unsolicited apologies. People are very <laughs> Lots of unsolicited advice. <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. That's why the world is a mess. And you say, <laughs> when you have a moment, something came to me and I realized that I owe you an apology. And when you have a moment, I'd like to give it to you. That's going to be really intriguing. So that person's going to contact you. What's this about? And you say right off the bat, you could say, no, no, look, it's not anything illegal. It's not anything where I've taken money or done something wrong. But what I realize is I've been disrespectful to you. And what I realize is that I've talked down to you. And what I realize is I've tried to force my point of view on you. And when I put myself in your shoes, I didn't like hearing that. And in a world in which there's so little respect between people, 
so little empathy. I blew it with you. And I'm sorry. And I was wrong. The reason I did it is because I've discovered something that can change lives. And if you're not doing a very good job, save lives. And in my eagerness to share that with other people, I've run them over. I've been disrespectful. I've talked down to them. And I just wanted to apologize to you. What do you think the source for the aggression comes from when it comes to people that have made a big transformational change in their life? The first thing that comes to mind is like, in religion with born again Christians or anyone who, you know, joins something and they just become all in on it. And then everyone and everything around them needs to conform to that or feel that. We see that a lot with folks hopping into plant-based. Everyone's got, oh, we're going to eat all this now at the table. And it reminds me of taking a family or a group of people or your tribe hostage, so to speak. And it's hard to, it's hard to resist in a way because it's good for you. It's healthy. So why would you resist it? With all that we know about human nature, what is it about that new part that makes people so, gosh, what's the word? Zealous is not the word. It's just spirited. It's just, it's like blind. It's the dopamine of, I I don't know. It's just wild. But people really want everyone to be on board that they care about, even people they don't care about. Sometimes they like just seeming smarter than other people. Look, I I think what happens is, when they've discovered something that so empowers and emboldens them, it can often be after they've had times in their life when they felt a little bit confused about things, they didn't really feel in control, they didn't feel assertive. It gives you an adrenaline rush, there's a dopamine rush. You get emboldened by it. In fact, I'll share something because I've actually done it on this show and I'm guilty of it. I have a <laughs> podcast and it seems to do pretty well. And, and I'm often interviewing people who are super, super successful, super, super powerful, super influencers. And something I will do sometimes to level the playing field is they can talk about various things, but my podcasts are very conversational. But every now and then, and I plead no contest to this that I'm guilty of. Sometimes the conversation will work its way around where they're curious about me because the conversation is different than a usual informational interview. And when I drop the S-bomb, the thing I'm proudest of in my life, and there's not really even a close second, and I felt that it was a, a lot of luck, but I may know something, is that for 25 years, I focused on suicide prevention, and none of my patients died by suicide. It is a game changer. It levels the playing field. Uh, Suddenly, whatever they feel they've accomplished, I'm their equal. And so there are times I'll plead I'm guilty that I play that card because, first of all, it is the thing I'm proudest of having accomplished in my life. There's a saying, when whoever saves one life saves the world. So what I'm Mm. saying is that when you happen upon something like being vegan, plant-based, and there's a community, it can sometimes empower you, especially when you have felt 
less than other people. But the problem is what we want to do, and I can tell you when I've played that card and it's worked because they get quiet and some of these (laughs) powerful people will go, that's pretty amazing, Mark. And then I can, you know, be humble and say, well, I was probably lucky and maybe I know something about suicide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the point is, I won the hand. And, yeah. I, and I will tell you, after I do the podcast, I'll say to myself, Mark, what made you so insecure that you had to play that card again? Mm. So, do you follow me? I'm devoted to lifelong personal development and improvement. And when I catch myself name dropping or trying to brag, I feel embarrassed afterwards because I I will tell you, I'm at my best when it's all about the other person as opposed to anything about me. And and that's the advice I would give is that I can understand uh, that you feel empowered and you're passionate and to use your word, zealous or spirited, and it's intoxicating. The problem is you want to step back and ask yourself, if I really want to serve the mission of plant-based living, every time I try to jam it down someone's throat, I am dishonoring the mission. Because if I am being disrespectful towards others to convince them about a plant-based life, I am dishonoring how healthy and how good it is And the way to really honor it is to really get people to open up about what it is that convinced them to eat and live the way they do. Where did they learn it from? And how is it working for them? And have there ever been moments when they were momentarily thinking, maybe I should get off meat. Maybe I should try this plant-based stuff. It's not all woo-woo. And so what you really want to do is get them to tell you the story of why they eat the way they do. There's a great book, if you're listening in, and it's not one of mine. Mine are pretty good. (laughs) It's a book that came out in the last year by Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Bruce Perry called What Happened to You? And it talks about trauma-informed therapy. And the idea is that you look at people as basically good And if they're acting in a way that seems stupid or foolish, that something happened to them that caused them to do it. And if you can believe, using the Michelangelo approach, that inside people, good people who are doing something that is stupid or damaging to themselves, something must have happened to them to cause them to do that. One thing I would go to, but this is, I'm a psychiatrist, a lot of poor eating that people do is their comfort foods. And sometimes when you talk to people, and this may not be your audience, I have a wide audience, and, and, and when I've interacted with people, poor people, when some of them say, in our little part of the city, Life expectancy is maybe 40. If we're not going to live that long, I'm going to grab for whatever gives me a little piece of enjoyment. And then there's the opportunity to let go of your agenda and say, educate me about your life. Because I don't want to run over people who are having a hard time. Tell me what your hard time's about. 
And what can happen, Lynette, is when you show that kind of caring towards people, it often causes them to feel grateful to you for caring. And out of that gratitude, they may return the favor by saying, tell me a little bit more about this plant-based living. Even though I like the junk food and I don't think I'm going to live past 40, educate me about that. But you earn the right to share what you know by caring about them. Wow. (laughs) Mic drop, mic drop. It's very interesting that you frame it that way because that's something that kind of hits home with me as an administrator of this all. And I think that's something that a lot of founders and a lot of leaders, a lot of wellness experts in the space could definitely take that because a lot of times we have a tendency to come into situations as like the savior and say, hey, this is good for you. But you, you bring up a really good point. If this person or a group of people don't feel hopeful or positive about a certain amount of future ahead of them, it's never going to stick in the beginning. So that is definitely a zinger for me. But there's something I, Lynette, there's something I say that occasion, you want to be compelling to open people's minds and convincing to get them to take action. And I will tell you something, people feel beaten up by the pandemic. And they don't want people doing a, a hard push because they feel beaten up. And so if you try to be convincing too soon, they're going to push back because they've had it. But what you want to be is compelling. How can you get them to open up their minds to you? And I will tell you, one of the things that's most compelling to another person, and I even got you to laugh a little bit when I did my experiment and you said, you really switched the tables. One of the things (laughs) that's most compelling to another person and opens their mind to you is when their first impression is, how did you know that about me? When you get where they're coming from without their telling you, and then you care about where they're coming from when you get there, that's probably the best first impression you can make on another person. And I'll share something. I've been coaching people. So for some of your influences, they might try this. So if you're giving a presentation on Zoom or you're talking to a group of people and they're restless and you get introduced and it's time for you to talk and you're there and you've been introduced and you could do this on a Zoom call and you pause and say nothing. And they're wondering what happened to the sound and they look and then they finally, they look at the Zoom screen and they see you're there and you scratch your chin and you go, huh. And then you wait another five seconds. So maybe you look away Mm. and then you scratch your chin again. You look out of the camera and say, huh, they're all going to be looking up. What are you going to say? And again, I've been suggesting to people that they use a little bit of assertive humility, or you might try something like, what I'm thinking is where all of you are coming from. And I put myself in your shoes and I asked myself, what are they listening for? And this is what I came up with, which is what I did in Russia. But in the plant-based community, you can say what I came up with is that 
all of it, there's a lot of science. There's a lot of background. It's not just woo-woo to think of being plant-based in your life. And you're all listening for, I think it might be something good to try, but, and I think the but might be, I love some of the foods I eat. Sometimes when I don't love anything about my life, when I can't stand the people in my life, when I hate my job, the thought of a food that's not good for me, but I like, sure seems great. And that's a big but. And there's not a small amount of people who feel stuck in their jobs, burned out, misunderstood at home. And it's so understandable why it would be hard to give up that little oasis that puts mm. a smile on your face at the expense of your health. Yeah. And, and yet you're here and we're talking because I'm wanting to share something with you that I discovered that's changed my life and it didn't happen immediately. So do you follow what I'm saying, Lynn? It's, it's a way Absolutely. of talking with them. Yeah, and not to them. <laughs> or, or at them, them or over Or at them or over them. Absolutely. So it makes me think about habits and how all of this plays into people making decisions or falling back on decisions. That's the first thing I thought about when you said that people will take that moment of a food that's not necessarily healthy to have that emotional joy. Is there anything that you could speak on with habit? I know that's not your specific specialty per se, yeah. but I have something gems. that I love sharing. There's a person named Dan Sullivan, and he's the head and founder of an organization called The Strategic Coach. And it's an amazing organization. It actually helps people create. It, it, it changes your life into three day a three-day pattern. But I won't get into that. People can look up the strategic hmm. coach. Where one day is okay. totally free. Another day is totally focused on work. And then the third day is the buffer thing, a buffer day in which you're trying to market or promote but every third day is totally free. You don't do anything other than stuff that makes you feel relaxed. But one of the things that Dan taught me is he said, I think the word self-discipline is a terrible word because most people use it to criticize others or criticize themselves for not having enough of it. He said, a better word is habits. He said, Happy people have different habits than unhappy people. Successful people have different habits than unsuccessful people. Uh, and he said, a habit is a change in a small piece of behavior that you do every day for roughly 28 days or a month, and then you internalize it, and it becomes more natural. And if you just... Do something very small. So I, so I often uh, tell this story that for years I had a dental hygienist who said, you really need to floss. And then I got one who was like a Nazi. She was so good. I felt my teeth were so clean, but she scared the love of God into me. And so what <laughs> happened is I started flossing every day and I did it every day for a month 
until it became a habit. And what's happened is I've gotten a little crazy with it. I got food all over the inside of my windshield because I'm flossing it. Traffic oh my light. God. I'm flossing oh everywhere. But so I, I think I have to get back. But, but I think if you say, let's pick one small step and you just do it every day for a month and then it becomes more natural. So I would approach it that way. And and the way I would frame it to the plant-based community is to say, we would like you to just try this small, very small step every day, not just to get you to eat more healthily and in the plant-based community, but we want to teach you that if you can start adding better habits in your life, one little teeny behavior at a time every day for a month until they just become a habit that it will change your life. And you can begin to apply that not just to how you eat. You may apply that to how you interact with the people you love. You may apply that to how you stay focused on a task at work. But we want this to be the beginning of you changing your life for the better one bite-sized bit at a time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I want to shift gears a little bit and tap into your book, Talking to Crazy, because on the other end of the spectrum, we've been talking obviously a lot about people already on the plant-based train per se, and how do we effectively communicate uh, things to people who are not. But what about those people who are literally like irrationally against anything healthy, health promoting. It's like willful ignorance. I liken it to the scene in the matrix where he goes ahead and takes that blue pill and he takes the steak. He's like, I don't care. A lot of folks are like that. And it's not the ones that I'm necessarily speaking of that you mentioned earlier where, okay, I don't think I'm going to make it to 40. These are people who have everything at their disposal sometimes that won't even try it. It's like, it's people that I've encountered, Mark, like, honestly, like they'll literally look at something that I've made or something that someone else has made that is more on the healthy scale. And they'll pick at it and look at it as if it's almost like poison. And I'm thinking like, how could this, how could you even think in your mind that this is something that is negative or even not tasty if there's an entire community of people like eating it. But if you eat, oh my God, I'll spit it out. How do we crack these crazy carnivores, Dr. Mark? I, I'm one of the founding members of the Newsber Newsweek Expert Forum. So they're trying to do what Inc. Magazine and mm -hmm. Forbes has done and develop a community of people who write things. And I wrote an article and it was an article about how a someone who's pro-vaccine can get through to someone who's anti-vax. Mm. So there's a lot of passion going on there. Definitely. If you look up Mark Goulston, Newsweek, and you uh, scroll down my articles, I think you'll find it. I think it said something about vaccination debate or something like that. But okay. what it was about is is... That, that often the anti-vax person, and let's 
say there's some similarities to someone. Now, it's getting controversial whether you should take a booster now or not, but in the heat of oh, it yeah. all, it really made sense. And if you were anti-vax, it was a little not unlike being anti-plant-based, really doing something that was detrimental. And, and there's a dialogue in there, which is a little bit like what we talked about earlier, in which the anti-vaxxer, or in this case, the people who look like you're trying to poison them, part of yes. why they're reacting that way is because there's a part of them that knows that they don't eat all that healthily. But you trigger them by talking to them in a way that causes them to feel like you're talking down to them. So you're reminding them of people who talk down to them like they were silly or stupid or foolish. And you might just think you're being passionate. There's a saying, we have some control over what we say. We have no control over how it's heard. What you may think is passion, they may feel as if you're talking at them or down to them. So they have a knee-jerk reaction to anyone that tries to be pushy. And you might think, I'm not pushy, I'm just passionate, I want you to live longer. But again, if they experience that as being pushy, what the article talked about was in this hypothetical dialogue, the anti-vaxxer sort of barks back the pro-vaccine person, people like you've been talking down to me all my life. I'm not ignorant. I am not stupid. I am not such and such. Mm. And so what happens in the dialogue is the person who is pro-vaccine, or in this case, someone who's pro-plant-based, takes full ownership and says, you're right. I've been talking down to you that way because I'm scared. And what I'm scared is if you don't take the vaccine, not only will you get sick, other people will. And so you can use a parallel with that is if someone's pushing back, but I am telling you, people, it's very disarming to give them an unsolicited apology. And what you could say is, you're right, I'm scared. I'm telling you about this because I'm scared. I'm scared for you because I know someone or uh, someone in my family and they just blew it off and, and, and they died in their 30s. You're right, I'm scared. And that, and so in that particular article, what happened is the anti-vaxxer had never been apologized to in his life, especially by someone he thought was arrogant. And so what happened is the person who was pro-vax let go of trying to convince the person who was anti-vax and again, just took full ownership of I, I have been arrogant. I've talked down to you and I've talked down to you because I'm scared and I'm sorry. And they stuck with that. But what happened is the other person, having never been apologized to ever in their life by someone they thought was arrogant, owned up to it and, and said, and just said, you know, no one's ever apologized to be like you. All the know-it-alls in my life have, have never, no one's ever apologized for beating me up verbally. And what happened is the anti-vaxxer, in this case, the anti-plant base, was so touched by the apology that it opened their mind to thinking, maybe there's something to this vaccine. And maybe if you're fortunate, if you have this kind of conversation, the anti-plant based person will say, maybe there's something to what you're telling me. Tell me a little bit more. But can you track the way I'm going with this? 
Yeah, I'm seeing a theme as well. And it's telling me that a lot of the solutions to any approach as far as influence can or will include unsolicited apologies and radical honesty. I see that popping up. And I guess that's within just the unsolicited apology and in all of vulnerability within that and in vulnerability as well and radical honesty, vulnerability and unsolicited apologies. And it's all just bringing down your guard to allow others to bring down their guard and to to create a happy medium. seems like it. That's the solution. I, I, think you, <laughs> I think you nailed it. I think if you bury your neck, other people will bear their neck. If you bury your teeth, they're going to dig their heels in. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> let's get to some irrational individuals here in our world. Children. Can we touch a bit on children? Because obviously those are the folks in the world that have some of the most irrational thoughts and ideas and preferences, especially when it comes to food, even up to teenagers. A lot of times folks will have a good influence on their children's dietary habits. And then when they're off to junior high or high school, things change, competing at a sport or just any other type of influences. But across the board, even though I know that child psychiatry is your focus, what are some things that can be helpful for parents or just general caretakers as far as easing children into being interested in better choices, not for them to choose, but for them to try. Kids are finicky. I've got like a bunch of nieces and they're all under the age of eight. And oh my goodness, one will say no, one will say yes. And then one, if one starts to say no, the other will say no, just because the other one said no. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. I'll what next? You, I'll tell you when it comes to kids, especially teenagers, it's all peers and celebrities. It's sad because if you're a parent, you care about them, but it's all peers or celebrities. Although here is an approach that's a little bit uh, that might work. And when I speak to parents about reaching their teens, I say never initiate a heart-to-heart -heart talk because that they don't start. Because teenagers hate heart-to-heart -heart talks that their parents start. It is like nails <laughs> on the couch. It is awful. But one of the things you can do is when you're doing an activity together, like driving, so you're not looking at them eye to eye, you can do the following. So something I'm going to share with your audience, because one of my focuses is preventing teen suicide. And I speak around the world and uh, I've partnered with a friend whose 14 year old died by suicide. And there's something we call the four prompts. And then I'll shift over to healthy eating. Yeah. But if we can save some lives, that'd be my passion from our episode. And here are the four prompts. When you're doing an activity with one of your teenagers or even a preteen, I'm not sure if they're under eight, they would get this. But you say, all of us parents are really worried about our kids in the pandemic. We're just worried. We know about the stress. You go into school. You got to wear masks. You don't wear masks. Can I run some things by you? So hopefully they'll allow it and say, okay, okay, mom, okay, dad. And here are the four prompts. At the worst you at the, at the absolute worst, how awful are you capable of feeling about your life for yourself? They're going to say, what? 
at its absolute worst, how awful are you capable of feeling about your life for yourself? And if they say pretty awful, there's a process I created with my suicide prevention work called surgical empathy. Mm. A little bit of that would be pretty awful or very awful. Okay, ma. Okay, dad. Okay, very awful. Second prompt, when you feel that way, how alone do you feel? Pretty alone. Pretty alone or very alone? Okay, mom. Okay. Okay, dad. Very alone. (laughs) And the third prompt is, take me to the last time you felt that. And they're going to go, what? Or WTF? You say, yeah. Was it it two nights ago when we heard you walking around in your room at 2.30 in the morning? And there's something magical that happens that when you can get another person to describe something so clearly that you can see it with your eyes, they refeel it. So if they tell you, I was walking, yeah, I couldn't get to sleep and and I was just stomping around. And and, and then you say, then what happened? I I felt like kicking the wall or hitting the wall and that sounds awful. Then what happened? I tried to go back to sleep and it wasn't working. And then what? I looked around for your sleeping pills or Benadryl. I couldn't find it. Then what happened? The sun rose. Then the fourth prompt, by this time, if it works well, you'll be able to make eye contact and you say, honey, I have a, I have a favor to ask you. The next time you feel that way or you're getting close to feeling that way, do whatever it takes to get my undivided attention or your dad or your mom's undivided attention. Because we have all kinds of things in our mind, but there is nothing more important to either of us when you're feeling that way that you let us know because we don't want you to feel so alone there. So that's a pretty heavy conversation. But you can also ask certain questions. I've also done trainings for parents about how to teach your kids judgment, common sense. So uh, you can also ask your kids, can I ask you a question? How do you tell which kid in your class is going to get in trouble this year compared to another one? Mm. And I'm not telling you not to be friends with them. So what you're trying to do is plant seeds for judgment. It's probably going to be Johnny. Why? Because they got in trouble four times last year. Oh, I can understand that. And then you might want to ask other questions like, how can you tell the difference between a class that you can study for at the last minute and one that you better keep up to date with? So what you're teaching them is judgment, but you're not telling them what to do. But do you follow what I'm saying? You're trying to feed your conversations so that maybe you can say, how do you tell the difference between a food that's really tastes good, but you're going to get sick? Yeah, you're teeing up the framing it, yeah. So you're framing it up, but rather than telling them, you're helping them to self-discover it because what you're really wanting them to develop is decision-making and judgment and common sense when they're not around you. Yeah, that discernment for where I'm not here around at all. How do you set that stage? Yeah. And this is so much bigger. That's why I'm really loving this conversation because it's so much bigger than food. This is really just about awareness, authenticity, radical honesty, listening. And as you mentioned earlier, all of this starts to spill over in other habits into your life. Even if you don't necessarily start with food, you just start with these acts And all of that really comes into play. 
Before I shift, a quick question about romantic partners. Last but not least, you could go on social media at any moment and there's literally memes that are dedicated to, oh, I'm not doing anything with you unless you're vegan or I've got to convince this person or I won't marry you. Just a lot of big absolutes um, with a lot of big a lot of parts of that community. And then you have others like, okay, we can get together, but you slowly, surely have to move into this healthy food. I, I can't cook any of this stuff in the house or I can't eat it. Everyone has different spectrums. But what would you say for folks out there in the dating scene looking to obviously get married, start a family and have these really rigid rules about their diet that may or break their chances? I would go back to the Oprah Winfrey and Bruce Perry thing. What happened to you? So whenever you run into someone who's really insistent about being anti-vegan or pro-vegan, but what they are is they're obsessive about it, is allow them to say whatever they say. And you can say, you not only sound passionate about what you're talking about, you sound like any other way is wrong. So help me to understand what happened to you that you need to hold on to what you're promoting so powerfully that you can't hear any other opinion. Because because what's happening is in plain view, they're grabbing on to something as a way of coping with something that happened to them. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, I would say to your community, let's, what I would say is let's consider empathically confronting people's obsessiveness about anything because it's going to be counterproductive. Even if you're 100%, you're going to alienate people. So let's, isn't that let's, funny? <laughs> what, what? I said, isn't that funny? You can be 100% and you're still going to alienate people. I think that's something that people do not think about at all. They think the truth is just like going to be it's going to set everybody free, <laughs> and it doesn't always work that well, way. But what, you, what what I'd want to get at is you seem so passionate about this, and if you can get people to share stories, people open up when they share personal stories, because say, you seem yeah. really adamant about this, and that it's like the best thing you've discovered in your life. Tell me the story of how you discovered it. So I have a podcast called My Wake Up Call. It just made it into the top 0.5% of all podcasts, and we do no social media. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. <laughs> we got to do crazy. another podcast on how you did that. We're just starting out. So <laughs> that's well, It's all word of mouth, but I get some interesting guests ranging from Larry King to Jordan Peterson. I get 15, yeah. I get 15 requests a week, but it's called My yeah. Wake Up Call, and, and the whole thing is about what matters most to you right now in life that you think will matter to you at the end of your life? And give us an origin story and then wake up calls that led you to, to make that the most important, one of the things that matters most to you. And people love sharing that story of how they discovered it. Yeah. 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 It's another piece in this is storytelling. Something you brought up just a minute ago saying that if you're saying something 100% true, you still might not, you know, get the result that you're looking for, or it still may be some tension. It brings me to something we were talking about earlier based off of 
a chat that you had in Saudi Arabia and resistance to change doesn't exist. I would love for you to tap into that quickly. Yeah. So I, I did a webinar with the Medina Institute for Leadership and Entrepreneurship. It's called Mile. And I did it. I did it virtually. So I did it here in, in the States and there in Saudi Arabia. And it was called Overcoming Resistance to Change in Others and Yourself. And my whole hypothesis was resistance to change doesn't exist. And I said, what exists in people you think are resistant is non-rational, non-functional self-preservation. Non-rational, non-functional self-preservation. And, and I mentioned that the way our minds are designed is if you can think of silo like in the Midwest that has grain in it, but think of a, a psychological silo where at the top of it is what you feel competent about. That sits on top of what you feel confident about. And that sits on top of what you feel in control about. And, uh, and what happens is more and more people live in very narrow silos and part of the role models for the world, and they're not doing the world any favor, are the tech CEOs. Whether it's Zuckerberg, Bezos, Musk, Steve Jobs, many of them are uh, a little bit on the spectrum, but in a very narrow band of life called technology and artificial intelligence, they've seduced everybody in the world to join them. Yes. But when it comes to relationships, personal relationships, family relationships, for all of them, it's atrocious. But the point is, if they can pull everyone into their silo where they feel competent, confident, in control, they laugh their way to the bank. And, and what I was saying is that, so when someone seems to be resisting you, if you can, and you can accept they're not rational and that's not good for them, they're not functional. But right. the third piece is what is the self-preservation? And if you can unpack that, let's, okay, here's an experiment. You're really adamant and you're talking to someone who's really stubborn and, and it's escalating. And then, but you get them to open up and you could say, well, uh, oh, here's something else that I share with people. It's part of uh, surgical empathy. It's called the five realies. And you can say, you know, I can understand that you don't want to try this, but what's really going on? Everyone's telling me that I'm eating all the wrong things and I'm unhealthy. And I say, yeah, I can understand. People are just telling you all around you what's really going on. Or you might even say this to the people in your community who are pushing it uh, so hard. When you get to about the third or fourth really, sometimes they open up. And if that person you're trying to convince says, I'll tell you what's really going on. You may not mean to do this, but you remind me of someone who so abused me when I was a child. I didn't want to live. And, and the way you're talking at me is just triggering me. And I, I just want to run because I don't know how I made it through that abuse. 
and I'm not even hearing what you're saying because I'm all triggered inside. And I, and I hate to say this to you, I'm going to go and eat something that makes me feel better because I feel triggered all over. And that may not have been your intention, but I'm not doing very well right now because of the way you spoke to me and you think you were being passionate. And you just reminded me of something I've been trying to forget for 25 years. Do you follow what I'm saying? If yeah. they said something like that, hopefully that could yep. stop you. Like, wow, wow, I am so sorry. I'm just so excited about what this has done for me, but wow, I'm so sorry. It's all perspective. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's the perspective. It's the, now I'm thinking inner child, a lot of those things, most of those things, those traumas, they just don't, they end up getting buried. And then they just end up being triggered in some way or another and manifest themselves, you know, through the emotional eating. Again, emotional eating, I practice fasting. And one of the biggest things that I get out of speaking to others about it, it's just interesting their reaction a lot of times because they're so emotionally connected to food. It's not even for the nutrition or even the energy. It's not, oh my gosh, this person is incredibly fit and they need this caloric intake to you know, perform in the morning, it's more, I couldn't imagine disconnecting myself for, from food for a certain amount of hours during the day or a certain amount of days. And, you know, how that looks in my life, because some people eat literally after work or after these stressful experiences, and it's literally soul food, but it's not necessarily the best soul food. So again, it's, it's spiritual as well. It's, oh man, we could go on <laughs> forever. <laughs> with this conversation, but I wanted to close out with a word actually that you brought up this word actually more times than anyone has. And it is literally a part of every podcast episode that we do here. And it's called what's your, everyone has something inside of them. You mentioned earlier that you're not necessarily this religious person, but you're more spiritual, but we love to know what are those things obviously outside of the eating spectrum that give you your sixth sense, the things that get you going. Maybe it's a meditation practice. Maybe like for me, it's running. What is your rule, Dr. Gosser? What you got? I'll share. I collect quotes and I've got some really amazing quotes, but one of my favorite quotes I learned from a friend of mine, Dr. Shawnee Duperon, and she has something called Project Forgive. And this quote she shared with me knocked everything else, all the other quotes, off the table. She said, forgiveness is accepting the apology you will never receive. Mm, yeah. Forgiveness is accepting the apology you will never receive. And when she shared that with me, both my parents have been dead for a while, and, and I imagine getting an apology from my father who died in 1995 and it changed my whole relationship with him inside my head so I'll just fill you in so one of the things that he would say because he was good with numbers but he wasn't necessarily that comfortable with interpersonal stuff and certainly not that comfortable with creative stuff and I'm a fairly creative person and so whenever, sometimes I would bring up something and he would say something like, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> or he could even say, what makes you think you know anything about anything? So it was pretty negative. 
But then when I applied the apology that I never received to him, I heard him say to me, and this is 25 years ago, what he said to me was, remember when I used to say, what makes you think you know anything about anything? What does that have to do with anything? He said, I really knew a lot about numbers, but there were a lot of things I didn't know about. And every time you brought up something, he wouldn't use the word, but we can use it here, outside my psychological silo of competence, confidence, and control. He wouldn't use those words. But every time you brought out, up something outside of what I felt confident about, it made me nervous. So I had to put it down. Instead of sending you over to one of the dads of one of the other kids in the neighborhood, and I want to apologize because what you've done with your life and what you've accomplished and who you've helped in your life is more than I could ever imagine. And I don't deserve you as a son. And I'm so proud of who you've become. And I'm sorry. So when I heard him say that to me, I got a little emotional. And I said, I'm sorry. That makes so much sense. I'm sorry I held a grudge against you. I'm sorry I had a chip on my shoulder. And you did the best you could. You didn't beat him. You were just a little bit verbally talking down, but it was based on fear. And I really mean it when I say, rest in peace, Dad. I miss you. Yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That is definitely woo-woo. That's bigger than woo-woo. That's a lot of a lot of inner work and a lot of the ability to, oh gosh, to conquer that kind of one-sidedly. I, I think that's it's amazing and it's making me think about the different things within the family ties that I have, folks that are here and folks aren't. That it just drives the point home. Just really with this entire conversation, it's just the radical honesty and just the forgiveness and everyone listening. And, and really coming to a point to where whatever side that you're on, we can find the best happy medium as possible. Learn more at superfoodschool.org.